Okay, everyone, places and action. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You talking to me? Here it looks like you boys have seen a lot of action. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. This is a Cinema Plus podcast brought to you by More Movies. Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of the Cinema Plus podcast, brought to you by moremovies.co.uk. I'm David Roberts, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague Greg Fisher, as we use this first series to take a look and discuss some of our favourite films of all time. I've selected Exam, a British psychological thriller released in 2009, with an ensemble cast, including Colin Salmon, Chris Carey, Jimmy Mystery, Luke Mabley, and Gemma Chan, amongst others. The plot follows eight talented candidates who have reached the final stage of selection to join the ranks of a mysterious and powerful corporation. Entering a windowless room, an invigilator gives them 80 minutes to answer one simple question. He outlines three rules they must obey or be disqualified. Don't talk to him or the armed guard by the door. Don't spoil their papers and don't leave the room. He starts the clock and leaves. The candidates turn over their question papers only to find they're completely blank. As the clock ticks down, they must figure out what the company expects of them and how far they are prepared to go to secure the ultimate job. The film is a modern morality tale in the sleek guise of a sci-fi tinged thriller. The setting is modest, the ambition is big. Plot twists, lighting changes and shifts of tone work hard to sustain our attention. On a small budget, the modest cast solidly put together a fantastic thriller that's all about the process of solving the puzzle at its heart. Before we jump in and discuss the film, here's a clip from the director, Stuart Hazeldean, talking about what inspired him to make the film. Uh, it came from a telephone call with my best mate. We were kicking around ideas for a short film. And he said, uh, well, I had this idea about some school kids who go into an exam hall and they turn over their sheets of paper and they're blank. And I said, oh, that sounds cool. What do they do next? And he wasn't entirely sure. He was just thinking, you know, they express themselves, they do origami, etc. Um, and I said, well, what if we turned that into more of a job interview scenario and we made it a real sort of life or death job? We must get this job. Um, that would really sort of bake your noodle to turn over a sheet of paper and find it's completely blank. If you're this big type A personality and you're prepared to write an amazing essay about why you should be hired or to, to deal with any intellectual challenge and you have absolutely no guidance at all and I thought well, that's, that's quite surreal and that's quite interesting. So the exam from uh, 2009, an independent British film there. Um, yeah. What do you think Greg? Yeah great film, I'd not, I'd not heard of it before, never seen it before. Very slick as you said to me beforehand it's um, it's like a play. It only takes place in one space. And these kind of movies that are quite, you know, insular and they're minimalist, uh, something as famous as 12 Angry Men, for example, I mean, they, they've got to be good, haven't they? They've got to have a good script. Yeah, that's it. And I think um, it's an interesting one. And I, I'll, I'll preface our whole podcast here by really saying, if you... Uh, if you're interested in seeing the film and uh, you haven't seen it yet, then it is spoilers ahead from this point and it is a film that could easily be spoiled. Yeah, maybe go and see the film, then come back to us and, uh, and yeah, have a listen to the so. podcast. Yeah, I think so. But exactly that, yeah, it's a, it's a, 
one of those films I like to call the the one location films, which are my favourite, they're my guilty pleasure of, of cinema. Let's list off a few of your favourites then. Uh, what do you like? Uh, Rope? Uh, Rope is a fantastic one. 12 Angry Men, uh, Phone Booth. Um, phone Booth, yeah, I didn't one. think of that. Brilliant, yeah, that's a good example. Uh, the thing about Phone Booth, for the most part, it's exterior and rather and you think of these films as being interior so phone booth kind of plays yeah. with the format in that sense even though it as only, in, yeah it is interior as in the phone booth but really he's outside in the streets and, and there's, there's other examples like lifeboat by hitchcock as well which is all on a on a lifeboat in the ocean sure um so <clears throat> and and what I, what i love about them is exactly that that because they're in one place um it's relying far less on um, action set pieces and creating um, huge journeys and, and relying on all of that and it's all about okay get some great actors great characters with a fantastic script and it relies totally on that and it is like theatre in that way in terms of if it's not good enough it's going to fail really badly but usually is the case that they're, they're very good and um, I think in this case it really is yeah I, I agree um as I said, this one slipped me by. Uh, Two thousand nine was quite shocked because I did I didn't take a note at the time until after I'd watched it uh, of the release year, and I was quite shocked to to see it was eleven years ago because it, it felt very very contemporary. Uh, not least because of the mention of pandemics in the in the plot. Yeah. Obviously, everybody's suffering from the pandemic, and uh, or not everybody, but you know, a lot of people have got it. And the whole precursor is put on the understanding that they're going to work for this pharmaceutical company that are working on the on the cure. So, I thought, geez, that's really uh, yeah. It's interesting because I I haven't seen this film for a few years now. I, I watched it a few times when it first came out and, and loved it uh, back then. And um, watching it back now. It is interesting because I kind of forgotten how prescient that in this time it is. It's really relevant to now, um, and you don't find out about the kind of angle of it being a pharmaceutical company and this virus, this pandemic, until uh, probably halfway into the film, really. Uh, but then it all starts to come out, and certainly at the end, you find a lot more about it. And when it starts breeding out, you just it is right in this moment because we're we're living COVID times. Yeah, it's. Um, it's so relevant to what is happening right now, well, and uh, yeah, that, it makes you think of what what might be happening somewhere. <laughs> that's why I felt like uh, it, it was really contemporary. I mean, eleven years—it's not that—it's not a hell of a long time. But I thought, gosh, it feels like it was done in the last few years. Uh, it, down to the look of it as well; it's very slick looking. Uh, they did a lot with what little they had. The, I noticed when they changed the different light tones. You know, they go to in, uh, ultraviolet and infrared and stuff and that changed the whole dynamic of the of the shots and and the uh the mood of everything really well so i was i like what they did there um as i say i thought they did quite a lot with very little yeah and it's interesting because i think um looking at it now it's got a lot of um it reminded me a lot of like netflix um cinema um you know it's got the yeah. kind of gritty feel to it in a way and a, quite a bit of um, Black Mirror in a way. Yeah. Um, it, it gave a lot of vibe of that, and it made me think how much it might, you know, <clears throat> it might have influenced uh, some of the stuff we've seen in recent years. Yeah, definitely. It's got to have come from that kind of line, if you will. It felt very British. You got Gemma Chan, Natalie Cox. I mean, Luke Mabley, who plays White, 
you just he's a son of, he's a son of a <laughs> you just want to kill him and uh you know yeah he's I, a real he's an absolute <laughs> and i thought to myself you know what this guy's a great actor because i'm supposed to hate him and i absolutely hate him watching him <laughs> yeah but um i thought um jimmy mystery as well as um brown um and it was a very sadistic um and horrible yeah. character that I, I really didn't like. I thought uh, Chuck Woody Iwuji was excellent as well as Black. He he shone in it. Yes, he he was very uh, immediate, and I'd never seen him in anything else as well. But I thought he was good in that. Um, Jimmy Mystery for me, because of the whole you know EastEnders kind of background, and I felt like he was maybe too too many years in soaps. So. He didn't quite. He didn't <laughs> yeah. quite cut it for me as much as the others did. Uh, Pollyanna McIntosh really good as brunette. Um, I was only disappointed to see Gemma Chan from uh, Channel 4's Humans. She she's the first to go, so she's only in it like literally a couple of minutes. She starts writing on the paper. They chuck her out, and I was like, "Oh, Gemma Chan, where are you going? You're not coming back now, damn!" Because I think she was. She's an excellent actor. I really liked her humans. Thought thought she was great. Yeah. So when I seen she was in it, I thought, oh, great, Gemma Chan. And then it's like, you're the first to go. I was like, shit. But the best performance for me as well is Colin Salmon as the Invigilator. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's been in everything over the years. He was James in The Cube, Bond wasn't he? Wasn't he in uh, The Cube? Uh, possibly. Or Cube 2, one of um, them. Yeah, the James Bonds. Was he in the Pierce ones? Wasn't he there with... Um, M. The Pierce Brosnan ones, yeah. He was M's um, second in command. Sidekick. Yeah, sidekick. Yeah. Gopher. M's he Gopher. Was, um, he used to go and get Judy Dench's brandy for her. And... He was in the Resident Evil films as well. And That's I know what quite I was well thinking of. In, Not um, Cube. It was the Resident Evil things. And do you remember his death it. in that one? He's in that room and it's like the Cube in that sense because he's in that room with the laser and he manages to jump over it because it cuts everyone to pieces and then it, oh, it evolves yes. and it does that um, like square grid and just cuts him into square Through chunks. Him. That's why I was thinking Brutal, of the cube because he gets, <laughs> he gets <laughs> cubed in that. He gets macerated. He's brilliant though. He is an absolute <laughs> consummate professional and he oozes class. Um so it was good to see him. I think just his intro to the whole film where he gives the kind of speech at the beginning um, and it's the perfect person to really set it up oh, and get the, the yeah. brilliant, succinct kind of off we go um, and it's delivered great. Another one of those guys that, that commands authority. Very, yes. very good at doing that. Almost like, you know, Alec Baldwin levels of uh, Glengarry Glen Ross authority there, you know. But I think it's nice as well because this is a... You know, obviously, it's a great British film, um, and it, as you say, it's one of them ones I think has slipped many people by. It was a film that passed a lot of people by, and a lot of people haven't seen it, which is a, a real shame, I think. And that's why I try to tell people, "You want a good film? Go watch this." Yeah. And um, uh, but it's like it's got people that you kind of know from films and stuff uh, over the years, and British actors, certainly and stuff. British stuff, British soaps, British TV, uh, smaller independent British films like um, Filth. You know, something like that. Yeah. Pollyanna McIntosh was in filth. But it's not uh, a star-studded cast. No. And I think that's good because I think that would take away the believability of it and, and the naturalism of it. As far as I'm concerned, like, Colin Salmon was the most famous face I, I Person knew. in it, yeah. Apart from possibly Jimmy Mystery because he's, <laughs> you know, I might have 
criticised his acting a little bit, but he, he he was the most recognisable face because he's been in EastEnders and <laughs> so many was he soaps, in Coronation yeah. Street as well? I don't know, but geez, I, I thought I know oh, this he's in guy. One of them. I know this guy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a very clever piece in that it. it raises a lot of philosophical questions as these pieces always do you you mentioned 12 angry men well it's full of philosophy and it's full of ethics and these films if they're done right that is exactly what they bring out and it's funny when you mention the netflix kind of production value i i relate to that because of uh, did you watch the platform I haven't seen it yet, no. But That's a, that's a, a Spanish film there on um, Netflix. Definitely check that out if you haven't seen it because um, I'd put that somewhere between a film like this and something like uh, The Cube or something that's a little bit more brutal. But an excellent, um, you know, one, one location piece. Yeah, it's interesting because I think... I remember at the time thinking, oh, this is a kind of a mix between something like 12 Angry Men and something like The Cube. Uh, yeah. I thought it was kind of a blending of those two worlds. You know, it's not as brutal as something like Cube, uh, which is a great film. I really enjoy the first Cube. Again, that's unsung. Not everybody's seen it, but those that did, it's... it's. I mean, it's far better than Saw, in my opinion. Oh, it's... Um, yeah, a much better film. Not to, but, not to knock um, Saw too much, because that, that did really well when it came out. But... It's a different. Yeah, I think the first a different thing. I film. think you know it's. But I think as well, like looking at it now, uh, it's funny how we, you know. Obviously, I, I guess we see this as we look. We've reviewed some of the older films um, in these podcasts, but it's funny just looking ten years on how you know we see some of the dynamics change now. Looking at it as we've got COVID around, and that changes some of the atmosphere. But I think another thing that struck me as well is it, it felt like an escape room. Yeah. Oh, that's, and uh, yeah. that was something that wasn't really a thing in 2009. Um, no. But now, obviously, every city in the world has escape rooms. Everyone knows what they are. Yeah. And so now that's something that applies upon it um, kind of retrospectively. Uh, and it feels very much like that kind of... Yeah. You could imagine going well, to a, an escape room and it being these kind of challenges, you know. Well, the cube, of course, is the ultimate escape room. It's like, you know, escape yeah. and you win your life or something, but... With this one, it kind of also crosses more into the, I don't know, uh, the Black Mirror um, sim- simile there is definitely working. It's it's certainly uh, that kind of thing that Black Mirror looks at because you're really um, judging people on their actions about what they do when they're put in uh, a high-pressure situation. It's it, What I'm trying to say yeah. is they, they choose to be there and, um, yes. and that brings out certain character traits in them all and that's the therein is the interesting point in it all who's going to do what and And that's always the thing isn't it that these films the 12 angry man is the greatest example because to me that's the greatest one location film and one of the greatest films that's ever been made in my opinion and and you look at that film and and the brilliance of that is each person is a fantastic fully fleshed developed character and you see that character develop through the film and you see their emotions and their traits coming out and I think that happens here as well it's exactly that each character is so unique and individual and you see their traits being played out and coming out through scenarios that uh, uh, take place and you realise 
who's the coward, who's the bastard, who's the um, one who's scared, you know, who's the shy one, and stuff like that. Who's the smart one, who's the compassionate one. And it all takes place there. You see every human emotion coming out across the film, I think. It's a real psychological textbook of what's you know what humans are and also with these things when you look at them if you if you're really giving it you know your full attention and and getting into the film it's a good reflection on yourself you know we we can be included in what the which character traits were you know abhorred by which ones were relating to where who we think is the bad guy or the good guy or the you know that's it it, what are you laughing at what are you disgusted at what are you scared at yeah it's a good it's a a litmus test are you doing the litmus configuration are you doing (laughs) i'm doing the litmus configuration configuration? well yeah Uh, it's like let me just lick that that note in a a way (laughs) it's uh yeah i think it's i think it's really clever and it's a really um, strong script on the most part and i think it, it really develops some interesting topics as it goes through and is able to take that kind of um because i think there's a lot of these kind of one location stage play kind of things there's a lot of them in the 50s and 60s really mm-hmm. um budgetary reasons a lot of the time nowadays they're, they're less uh, approached apart from maybe indie perspectives a lot mm. um but this was a good uh, example of taking that kind of old uh, fashion style and really um doing something that felt contemporary with it oh certainly it definitely feels that. If nothing else, it's a very contemporary piece, made all the more so, as I say, because of this um, emphasis on the pandemic and stuff. But, you know, that's what dystopian cinema and dystopian uh, stuff like um, Black Mirror, etc., that's the scary part about them because they start to actually predict things that are going to be a problem or are going to happen, and that's their point in a way. They are a social commentary. It's It's good entertainment, or shocking entertainment, but it's it's supposed to shock you because it's there's a hell of a lot of truth in it all. It's supposed to tell us, inform us about ourselves as much as it is to entertain us, you know. And I think it's got that other great element of uh, that I love in these kind of films, really. And I, I love from uh, murder mysteries and that kind of cinema. It does keep you guessing. You're guessing different things throughout. What what's this? What's yeah. that? And, and all all Definitely. different things. And it has got that twist at the end. Yeah, but it's interesting because I think um, the director's been on record saying that he didn't want the film to just be about the twist. He wanted it to have its own uh, weight, and I think it does. Uh, you know, watching it again and uh, after a few years have passed, it still felt fresh, even though I knew the ending. Um, that didn't matter. The, the the journey they go on is important as well, but the bonus is a nice little twist at the end as well. Yeah. Directed by Stuart Hazeldean, who wrote it as well. It was obviously a, you know, something he'd been working on for a while. Um, looking at his IMDb page, we haven't got a hell of a lot of credits of recent. He did the sh- something called The Shack in 2017. Never saw that either. So, so come on. But he's done a lot of writing though. Yeah. Um, so he like he wrote on stuff like The Day the Earth Stood Still, um, The Tripods. You know, mm. there's a lot of like science fiction stuff he's been involved in, oh, cool. and I think you can see some of that influence in there. He's got a BAFTA nom. Um, but yeah, if you're out there, Stuart, and you're listening, get on with it, son. Let's have another great uh, movie. you got you got the you got the ingredients. Let's have another Let's one. Let's have the exam too. Yeah. yeah, you could. You could in a way. But, you know, I'm sure a mind like that is capable of, um, you know, like Charlie Brooker. He's uh, loads of different ideas and information uh, all within that same style. Yeah. And I think you made a good point in terms of this kind of film 
has definitely influenced what's to co- uh, what was to come with Black Mirror and um, and and yes, uh, the uh, phenomena of escape rooms and stuff is brought on by this kind of uh, set piece. And it's a great example of what can be done on on small budgets, isn't it? You know, six hundred thousand dollars for this film, which is it's nothing in filmmaking terms. It's, it's a drop it in is it. You know, nothing. it's, it's it nothing. It's a shoestring budget in, in filmmaking terms, but. It comes across. It did a lot with that. Though. It looked slick. It yeah. was really nicely shot, and yeah, very good use of um, close-ups, especially at the start. You know that that uh, yeah, the first opening couple of minutes, and it, you you don't see anybody clearly. You just see details from them, a chin and or their hands, and it was it looked nice. It was really nicely shot, and as I said, the, the set itself, I thought they did a lot with it. It was just a room with some chairs in it. Props to the security guy as well for just being the silent Bob of the movie and not saying a, a word. Oh, how hard must that role have been? Yeah, and he, <laughs> and he was brilliant at it because he was stone-faced. I was looking yeah. for it myself, you know, like people who go up to the uh, to the Queen's uh, guards. At the, guards yeah, and, and they try and make them laugh or say something. And, uh, Step back from the fleet, Queen's guard! <laughs> well, you're not going to get that with this guy. He won't. <laughs> That was the only thing as well. I mean, when they, he uses that guy's hand to operate the gun, it was getting, a, it was stretching a little bit there for me. I thought, oh, would he let him do that? I don't know. It's a bit, that's a bit much. But it, I suppose it introduced that gun threat to it that, that you know, some of it was guessable. I mean, you could tell, you could tell straight away that Mister Brown was going to be the other son of a bitch. I mean, obviously, Mister White's the biggest son of a bitch in the room. Because he's just mouth on on legs straight away going for it, but Mister Brown the first sort of second, sneering yeah. at him and stuff. You thought, oh, he's also a bit of a piece of work, but in a different way. And I think, yeah, I think there's elements of the the story um, and the script where you kind of go, it is stretching. It is at the seams in places, but I think it just about stays in enough. Oh, it does. It does. Um, I agree. It, um, that you kind of. You, you pass it over and go, okay, no, no, we'll, you know, we'll let that go, kind of thing. Yeah. But um, it's interesting as well. You say the beginning bit because I, I think that's a brilliant kind of start to the film where it introduces them all the close-ups and stuff. Yeah. And of course, it's interesting because in that it's like she puts the plaster on her foot and the plaster on the scar, um, and you know, taking the pills and stuff. And each one of those things is actually setting something up. Yeah. That's going to happen yeah. in the in the room, and it's really interesting. Uh, and kind of laying groundwork, even in those close-ups at the very, very beginning. It is, in a sense, really nice it's, a mi- it's, a, it's also a mystery. It's a mystery film. Yeah. So, you know, you've got that element of clues, and just like you say, an escape room, you've all got to work together to figure out the clues, and it, there was very uh, good stuff that have you guessing at home, you know, sort of guess along with us. Some stuff was a bit obvious. I mean, you know, when he's when the deaf guy or deaf whatever they call him the French guy gets taken out the room and the glasses fall on the floor and stay in the room you know straight away they're going to come back into it even though they yeah. don't they don't telegraph it they don't make a big thing of it like do a single shot on the on them landing or anything but you know you just know but but that's you know that's fine that's the kind of film it should be and you know it's what makes it exciting and you, you know they're there and they're going to come into it but you, then you've got to guess how and I think some people like you know because you see people criticize things like that like oh it, it telegraphs something or or whatever but you kind of think it's kind of the point of it of a film like this because you're trying to 
guess things throughout the film, and it sometimes might be a red herring. Yeah, sometimes they um, do throw a red herring. The whole thing is to misdirect the audience. Yeah, I, th- I agree. But I think it gets into interesting areas because it's it's ambitious on its budget. Yeah, but it comes across uh, really really well, and it's got you know plenty of plot twists. It, it changes really fast. It the tone comes in and out to all the different points. You know, one minute it's all up and down and, and running around, the next minute it's really serious and kind of. I think someone's playing a Machiavellian uh, yeah. little role in the background, you know. Oh yeah, and you don't know about the rest of them. Who's going to be like what, and you know, like I say, who's good, who's bad, who's going to be uh, weak, who's going to be strong, etc. I think as if you were, you know, you're uh, starting out as a filmmaker, even just in the short film format, ten fifteen minutes, a piece like this is something to aim for, rather than going to lots of different locations or, or having different uh, sets and or shooting out you know in with too much extravagance and overreaching to go for something like this a bit more insular a bit more you know one stage so to speak like we say a theatrical setting if you get some great actors and you've got a good script there you go I mean you could do a Lars von yeah. Trier it wouldn't even have to be a good good set if you've got great script and great actors but I think these plays if you will they they pan out as great great little dramas yeah i think it's the perfect litmus test for a for a director or a filmmaker i think yeah if you're going to try something this will focus your attention on how it's shot yeah what's your character development how's your dialogue how how well are your actors performing it'll focus you on those key areas Mm -hmm. which are areas that we know as we've talked about a lot of times that can kill yeah Big films. Any one of them. You know? Any one of them is not right. And it's got to be all those elements, you see. But this one, considering all those elements, really did a, a good job hitting the nail on the head. Funny, there you go. Uh, I think general, it was. It's, it's pegged as 2009. I think general release was in 2010 for some reason. Or maybe that's just a Hong Kong release. Last... Uh, a, I think a the BFI of- um, or something had it out at first or something, right. maybe. Well, we don't know the story on that, but... Oh, that's it. It was released at the end well, of the film. We Festival do know the story on that. <laughs> it, it was released at the Edinburgh Festival, apparently, according to our expert, Dave Roberts. But what I was going to say was, we were talking about Inception a couple of episodes ago, and that was 10 years ago as well. Um, and, and that is another film that, that feels quite contemporary. doesn't feel like it was a decade ago. So... Do you think that there's this kind of watermark or this this line in the sand over which we do not know uh, this line in the sand that's over 10 years or under 10 years, I should say, and it feels contemporary still. But beyond that, well, that's a, it's up to individual cases then. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking out my head. I think, um, I think there's two elements to it. I think it depends on the film. Yeah. I think it really depends on the film because some stuff will just date very, very quickly. Um, a good example would be something like uh, The Mummy Returns or something. Mm. Within five years, the CGI looked, yeah. you know, very, very quickly. Go to hell and take your friends with you! So things like that can really affect How something about this, in a very uh, short space probably, of time. Uh, even more famous example, The Phantom Menace. Um, I'd say less the Phantom Menace, more something like Attack of the Clones. Why? What's uh, the, the difference? I th- the difference there is Phantom Menace was still shot on film, and uh, Episode Two was shot on digital video. 
Um, it was the first complete digital film. And for that reason, resolution was limited. So even coming in later, you get um Did that mean that they could do more with the CGI because it was digital? Yeah. Or did it just mean that it made it easier to do stuff? Well, they could do more quicker. Yeah, that's what I mean. It made it easier. So obviously in the time span they've got to get to release, yeah. they can... They haven't got to do the transfers, the digital transfers that they must have had to do from shooting on film. Yeah. Mm, interesting. And still in the Phantom Menace, it's interesting because Phantom Menace still used a lot, a lot of models and stuff. Yeah. Um, for stuff where episode two is where it really kicked off into everything's CGI. Well, um, I was just thinking of Jar Jar Binks, really. Mr. called Jar Jar Binks. Mr. your humble servant. The, the, that would the, be the standout the greatest yeah. character that Star Wars ever produced. Absolutely. Dave and Who I both play a game, by the way, called Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. I don't know if we've got any uh, snackers out there listening, but um, <laughs> we're still waiting for Jar Jar Binks to be introduced to that game. Come on. Mr. Back. Get on it, CG. Come on, EA. Come on. CG, get him, get him on it. Capital Games. But I think, yeah, films can age um, in two different ways, I think. I think if a film is, yeah, like a film that's 20 years old now, doesn't feel contemporary and that's just a sign of the times right uh, in most cases and then films like within 10 years most will feel contemporary i'd agree with that but there is cases and it's usually something like cgi or something that ages it um quickly um although i think that happens less now but it can uh, have an effect uh, or if it's like for example if it's a film about something that happens at the time um like a political film or something like that um that can sometimes affect kind of the the feeling of the the age of the film you know yeah it's funny with political films because sometimes people make them 30 years later and they're almost like a period piece like Oliver Stone yeah. made Nixon you know at least 20 years after the actual happenings and i think you have to in some cases because if you if you if you do it too soon like in the in the case of W, he did that film W about George Bush, and that didn't come off as well. It, yeah, because it was too soon, really, yeah, wasn't it? Was it? it was. It, it'd only been a few years, yeah. and I think that's it. It can affect it, really. But this film, Exam, I think definitely it's definitely stood the test of time, and like you said, it's it's little known, so you could still introduce it to a new audience now, and it would be worthy of of getting a bit of a cult following because maybe it's got one, and we just haven't realized yet but it's it's definitely worth watching i think so and i think unfortunately it has had some bad reviews really um do you think that when you look um, around snob snobby reasons i think so in a way i think if you look at like the the kind of people who have been criticizing it they are kind of the oh it's it's not good enough you know kind of film critics and i think it's unfair to to what it is the kind of because i think you've got to take into kind of that don't like a movie like Stroker Ace. Stroker, get your dander up, this ain't no time to lag. They can get the fuck out of Dodge because (laughs) we do. Well, I think you have to be fair when reviewing a film and take into consideration things like budget and things like period and stuff like that. And I think often they don't, and I think that's that's unfair on on certain films. I think think there's a lot of With uh, some stuff, it's like, unless it's got, you know, the the biggest actors of the moment in it, then they don't take a second look at it. But a lot of these unknowns are actually, you know, doing just as good, if not a better job than, than the major 
stars. So it's a bit unfair in that sense. And I think the cast did a brilliant job of exactly what we wanted them to do in the film, really. And to have us like a snobbish attitude of, oh, it's just a soap star in it or or something like that. It's it's flimsy. I mean, there's one review here, uh, Kevin Mayher at the Times, who said the film's fundamentally pointless. Why, Why did he say that? Which is... That's literally the headline of his review, which I just think is like the most mundane and... Well, that goes to tell you nothing about Exam and everything about Kevin. Kevin, you are pointless. You are pointless, that's it. Sorry. It's just a... It just is like... It doesn't... It's just literally going, I don't care about this film. And and that's just... uh, I think that's just... I mean, of course... Mean-spirited and uh, and unfair. And inaccurate, because as we've... Very as we've found by watching it, there's a hell of a lot to be gleaned from it. And as with all of these these great um, set piece films, you know, there's a hell of a lot in there, a hell of a lot of nitty gritty. I think it's yeah, it's it's got morality, it's got heart. There's some dark humour in there, yeah. you know, it makes you laugh a few times. And it keep, you know, you become the investigator with them. You're there trying to solve this puzzle with them. Yeah. So it's an interesting uh, film. As, as we say, it's been done brilliantly on a small budget and and for me that was the most comes across was the most impressive well. element is how much they did with the the small budget uh, just just yeah. in the luck of the film it was really really good and they got some young talented actors that they knew could do the job and it was well worth it i don't know if you anyone if you're going to be able to pick this up but it started raining here very heavily outside so got a bit of background noise it's the rain coming down heavily but we're not going to worry about that too much. Just thought I'd let you know if uh, if that's coming through. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's raining, it's pouring. You know, the criticism has its place, and it's not a perfect film. But to say it's pointless is is a lazy review, obviously. But there we go. You can't please everybody, and everybody's got an opinion. And some people have so yeah, and especially the the. The character, Mr. White, in this one is extreme. But, uh, oh, yeah, that was an interesting thing I found about it as well. The red pill and the blue pill. That's kind of getting on in Matrix territory there, that whole thing. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't really click onto that. But, yeah, true, it's, that is a very much a Matrix nod, isn't it? Yeah, there's definitely that element of, um, you know, Occam's razor going on. Which is brought up in there. Yeah. A lot of elements like that, like little little nods to little philosophical ideas and uh, yeah. morality plays in there, which is really nice just going and, throughout it. It's know, a clever film. Yeah, it is, but it doesn't try to be too clever and it doesn't, it no, doesn't stray no. from the path uh, up its own arm. <laughs> In that sense, uh, it just it just gives you enough to get you to to get you thinking, to make you think about things. And an interesting comment as well, I think, on kind of the world as it is. Kind of these guys have been invited to this interview and will conceivably do anything to get this job, just because it's high paid and it's the position yeah. and all these benefits and stuff. Yeah. And they don't care of the morals of it, and the morals of the company, at least at the beginning seem to be there's no laws and or rules in this room yeah and the kind of realization of geez you know that's a real reflection on people in real life society really and and kind of the the kind of capitalist um the toxic elements of capitalism really sure. um and they're kind of placed in this room really yeah the rat race uh the uh, the interesting point is when they bring in like you said they bring it in later on you find out it's a pharmaceutical company and you also find out 
about the pandemic and that several of the candidates are directly affected by it. So that gives an extra motive for wanting to get the job and um, adds to that element. You know, there's a go-getter and you think he's doing it because of these capitalist reasons. He wants to be the first, the last man standing. He wants to be um, everything, you know, the number one. But actually, he's got he's got the pandemic and that might be his main motivation. You know, when they, uh, the, that, that bit we talked about at the start where you got the close-ups and he takes the pill. When he t- first took it and he, he shudders a bit after he's taken it, like, you know, it's like had a bit... We find out later it's because it's kind of like an adrenaline shot. But um, when he first did that, I was thinking he was just a drug addict, like, you know, uh, Gary Oldman's character in Leon, and he takes those crazy pills. And it's like, uh-oh, he's taking the crazy pills, he's going to go off. I think that's it, because I think it's supposed to come across like that in the beginning, that, God, this guy's like on that's what amphetamines thought, yeah, or something like that, that, you know, and it's a bit of a going as a loose cannon. And he comes across that way in the beginning, but, of course, his character arc goes through that whole, oh, actually, he's infected. It's like that... That scene in in Train Spotting where Spud takes the speed before he goes for an interview, and he's like, "Oh, all right, oh, so nice yes. to meet you, all right, yeah, great," and he just completely blows it. By. And he's got that energy in the beginning, really, because he's so. Oh, he is. He can't shut the f- up. Yeah, yeah motor mouth in. Hate it, but excellent film. Yeah, I think. Good film. Good film. So um, yeah, so as as we always ask in these things, uh, we always kind of uh, like to sum it up and see what you would yeah. give it as a rating. So what would you give it, Greg? Well, on my IMDb out of possible ten stars, I gave it a seven, which is a very decent score. Uh, the average score, score for an average movie, uh, as far as I go, is is around six. So anything higher than a six is definitely yeah. worth watching. And I thought, yeah, it was a decent effort, all told. Mystery thriller that you want to see. 80 minutes long. At first, I thought it was going to be... Uh, it's not 80 minutes long, actually. It's a little bit longer than that. But I thought it was going to be in real time. You know, the actual minutes. And then you find out... Yeah. You know, that the uh, clock's been... Yeah, the and seconds I that have changed. Nice it is. Uh, that's the kind of uh, good twist at the end when uh, you realise that yeah. it has changed and he's still eliminated. Um, well, yeah. Again, they didn't telegraph it, but the guy starts his watch at the start, and that makes you just think, "Oh, yeah, they they might be, uh, they might not be doing full seconds there. Might be swizzing somebody." And it's nice retrospective kind of ticking boxes yeah. as well, linking things together. Uh, which that's is the nice. nice use of sort of um, callbacks there, where it goes back in black and white to uh, the invigilator saying different lines. You know, like uh, if you try and communicate with us, you will be disqualified. Which so I think works really well. It's what you it's what you want to see. What would um, you give it out of ten then? Um, for me, it's uh, it just gets an eight for me. Then? I think it is a good score. I think it just tips from seven point five to an eight. Uh, it's a part of it is it's one of my guilty pleasures because it's one of those um, as I say single location films and they are mm-hmm. I love them all I've written they're brilliant and so it falls into that category for me um, and it's got plenty of the stuff I really like there's a few areas it falls short I think it's with discuss you know there's just little bits where it can the ending could maybe a little bit better and it maybe a little bit more character development would have helped but it's a really strong film with a really strong story and performances but yeah there we go good stuff dave brilliant well glad you enjoyed it uh glad it was a good yeah, recommendation always, go- which, uh... always good to see these single location films like yourself i, I am a fan as well i like them 
And there we go. So recommended for everyone out there to go and see um, if you haven't seen it already. Um, but it's definitely one to watch. That's it for us this uh, week on the Cinema Plus podcast. And I've been Dave Roberts with Greg Fisher. Thanks for having me. Remember to check us out on moremovies.co.uk and uh, more movies on Twitter. Uh, and join in, guys. We really appreciate seeing you guys uh, checking out our stuff and communicating with yeah, us. Yeah, big ups and, to uh, Skip Bolden, Tico Romeo, Liam Jackson, and all the crew over there at Twitter Film. We love you guys. But yeah, come join our us. Favorite Twitter friends at More Movies Four, and uh, we'll be glad to hear from you. Absolutely. And there we are for this week, and we'll catch you next time. So there we are. That's it for this episode in our favourite films collection. It's been David Roberts talking with Greg Fisher. I hope you can join us again for another Cinema Plus podcast. In the meantime, be sure to check out some of our film reviews and articles over at moremovies.co.uk or come and say hello to us on Twitter at moremovies4. Thanks for joining us. I've been David Roberts and that's a wrap.